What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where all of our new content will be posted throughout this offseason. Podcasts, articles, different work over on Twitter. That is where it will be shared out. So please make sure you are following. If you are somebody who wants to start producing content, whether it be maybe hosting some kind of podcast, doing some written work, uh, we are hiring here at Sports Ethos. So please do reach out to me if you are trying to come aboard the baseball team. Of course, we're hiring basketball, football, and the like as well. Uh, reach out to me if you're interested there. Specifically, though, we are trying to build up our baseball division, so please do send me a message if you are interested there. Now, we are going to be going over the second half of the draft that I did this weekend in Arizona. We went through the first 11 rounds yesterday, and I'm still kind of sitting with this draft. It was done Saturday. There was a lot of events going on this weekend. I didn't really have a lot of time to just sit there and go through the results. Uh, we were, you know, Sunday is when the conference finished, flew home yesterday, and we're starting to, I'm starting to sit with it more. And I'm feeling, honestly, the more I sit with it, the more I like it. Uh, there are certain areas where I'm lacking a little bit, and we're going to talk about those today. Specifically, I think saves is a category that might be a little bit tricky. I mean, the things could fall the right way for me, and I could have three real quality closers here, and that's a possibility. Uh, but I could also, looking at these guys, like there might be zero closers on this team. So I'm I'm still new to the NFBC. This was the first time I drafted on that site. So, and not just NFBC. This is the first time I've done a draft that's like this. Uh, 50, 50 players you have to draft for the season, 15 teams. It's a huge pool of players, and you have to try and speculate a little bit as well, not just pick players who had roles this season. You have to kind of look down the draft board. We're not there yet, but when you get into round 30 and 40 and 50, uh, who might take on roles later in the season? What minor league guys might come up and have a chance to contribute? It's not just about what guys did this season. You have to really, especially doing a draft six months in advance, really try and project a little bit what uh, what you expect to happen. So the first pick is kind of one of those picks where I'm projecting something that's not really set in stone right now. Uh, it's Joan Duran. He's the guy I picked here in round 12. He is kind of the closer for Minnesota, him and Jorge Lopez, I think. It's hard to say who exactly is going to have that role, uh, according to the roster resource page on Fangraphs, which is really helpful. They're both currently listed as the closer. Jorge Lopez is still under contract. He's got some arbitration years, and maybe he is the guy that they go with to start the season. Maybe Jorge Lopez does uh, have that role. But I think over the course of the year, we will see Joan Duran start to take over more of the closer duties. He is their best reliever. I don't think that that's really up for much debate in my mind. Uh, this season, he had a 1.86 ERA. Uh, he was striking out like uh, what was it? Almost 12, just about 12 batters per nine innings. Uh, his WHIP was under one. Uh, you know, even his indicators were pretty good. His fielding independent pitching was 2.52. Uh, he was really great, and he didn't really have the closer role for a lot of the year. He had eight saves, but he still had a lot of fantasy value because of those low ratios. He had a couple wins as well, um, but he's a guy where I look at him and I say, okay, uh, give him, you know, even if it's not to start the season, a month, six weeks or so, and I think that they'll realize if they don't throughout the preseason that he is going to be the best arm, barring, of course, acquisitions and whatnot. He'll be the best arm they have in that bullpen, so picking him here, I don't feel as confident, obviously, as if I drafted a Romano or a Hayter or a Presley or whoever. I mean, Presley, you put in that grouping kind of loosely. You guys know what I mean. Classe and Hendricks and those elite closers. He's not in that grouping, but he, he very easily could turn into that kind of closer. I feel pretty good about this pick. Even if he doesn't become the closer, which would be a disappointment, I still think he'll 
He'll pick up some saves throughout the year, even in the setup role. He'd probably get anywhere from five to ten kind of saves, maybe five wins or so is what you can expect generally from a high-leverage setup guy for a pretty good team. Uh, that's generally what you'd expect. And I think he would have value because of the high strikeouts, because I think he's probably going to keep the ratios fairly low. Like we said, the indicators, as pitching indicators, were pretty good. So I think worst case scenario here, I end up with a really high quality uh, leverage eighth inning guy who's going to give me a ton of strikeouts and the odd win and save here. So it's not, it's not the end of the world, even if he isn't the closer, but I do expect him to take on that role at some point next season. And this is not a league where you can go off of your knee-jerk reactions, which is one of my favorite things to talk about on the show, how the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately side of fantasy and how you know we'll see a guy hit two home runs one day, and then the next day you look at the most added players and 10,000 teams have added that guy up. And you know the other side of that is isn't a closer or even any pitcher gets blown up, and then you see a ton of teams drop him the next day. You don't, you can't do that in this league, and I'm I'm glad you can't do that in this league because sometimes that is our inclination. A guy gets blown up a couple times, send him to the wire and drop him, or vice versa. A guy has one good game, go pick him up. This is where a whole season really matters, and I think over the course of the entire season, Juan Duran is going to pay off the value here uh, from round 12. So very happy with that pick in round 13. I went with Matt Chapman, and I like the Matt Chapman pick for a couple of reasons. I needed not just a third baseman, but a corner infielder, and I wanted to have some security there. I have him and Henderson as my third baseman there, so I'm, I'm happy on that front. In terms of the production you get from Matt Chapman, I think we pretty much know what we're going to see here. 25 to 30 home runs, 70 to 80 RBIs, and a fairly poor batting average, and the runs are probably going to be somewhere in like the 80 to 100 ballpark if he's healthy the whole year, which probably he will be. We never know. You have to cross your fingers. Uh, but most of his career, he's been a guy who's playing most of the games. 155 this year, 151 last year. I mean, I know I talked about on Friday how we can't draft for that exactly, but it's still something that will come into your mind, even if it's not the most important reason you're drafting somebody. He is typically a fairly durable dude. And at this point in the draft, I, I like taking him here. Now, steals, again, he's not going to give you any steals. We talked about this yesterday, how my steals are kind of, I'm not really sure how to feel about them. And similarly with home runs, I think I feel a little bit better about home runs, but the guys that I picked, um, you know, Mookie Betts, Jose Altuve, Gunnar Henderson, O'Neill Cruz, I think that they're going to give me probably in the 15 neighborhood of steals, somewhere around 15. It could be 10, it could be 20, but somewhere generally in that ballpark, I'm not terribly confident. And picking Matt Chapman here, I'm not doing myself any favors for steals. He's probably going to give me zero. I mean, maybe two or three, best-case scenario. But at that point, it's really not doing so much for you. So that's definitely an area where I'm kind of lacking my strengths. I really think it's going to end up being runs and RBIs. Those are going to be the areas where I think I can really rack up the numbers. Mookie and Altuve are going to be great for that. Mookie is a guy who's going to give you 100 runs, and then the RBIs are probably going to be in that same kind of neighborhood. Altuve, you're going to get 100 runs, probably 70 RBIs. And then Cruz and Henderson, Santander, Christian Walker, I think that they're all going to be able to give me somewhere in the like 150 uh, runs plus RBI neighborhood combined. So those, those are the two categories I feel really good about. Home runs and steals could go a couple different ways still. I think Matt Chapman... To go along with Santander and Walker, I'm leaning more into power here in these middle rounds after kind of ignoring it a little bit those first few rounds and 
a lot of people are taking hitters early. I saw a snapshot from a best ball that people were doing on fan tracks, some industry people, I think. And there was no pitchers going. There was two teams that took all of the pitchers. It was like team 11 and team 12 and a 12 teamer had all the pitchers. Everybody else is taking position players. It's obviously different scoring. Best ball is points versus roto. But generally this year for fantasy, people are going very heavy hitters very early on or hitter heavy, uh, I should say, very early on. I didn't really do that. I'm not really a very powerful team early on, so I'm trying to make up for that, and I think I made up for it pretty well. Between Santander, Walker, and Chapman, 100 home runs is probably possible. Like Maybe that's shooting a little bit too high, but it's going to be somewhere in the 80 to 100 range if these guys are all healthy and producing the way that they should. So I like taking Chapman there, even though he's not the biggest of help in terms of the steals. So, I mean, he's, he's not a help in terms of steals. And batting average where he's likely to be more of a negative than a positive. Batting average is a category where I'm probably not going to be very strong this year. Jose Altuve is the only real plus in that category right now. Mookie Betts is an all right guy for batting average. And then, I mean, we don't really know what we're going to see out of Cruz and Henderson. Those ones are wild cards. Santander Walker, kind of the same thing. Chapman kind of leans into the same kind of uh, vein as these last couple of picks. So I'm all right with him here. The next guy that I picked was Lance McCullers. And this, I, I feel really good about taking him here because I think he's going later than he probably should. I mean, people are maybe going to be a little bit worried about how many games he's going to pitch. He's never thrown more. It was 28 games that he pitched last season. And then um, 25 was his previous high, 22. He's always missing some starts. There's always been some problems and some worries there, which I'm not going to be so worried about, especially at this point. This is round 14 I took him. Yeah, round 14. For Lance McCullers, he is an ace. Like, his best case scenario is that he is an SP1. And maybe I'm shooting a little bit high. Like, maybe he's a top-end SP2. But I think what he can give you, what he's shown he can give you, is somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, a low threes ERA. I don't think he's going to be what he did this season when he came back, which is 227. But if he can give you something similar to 2021, where he was 13-5, and five, a 316 ERA, I think that that's pretty probably about where he's going to lie. Uh, his pitching indicators are pretty regularly right in the mid threes. That's that's who he is. That's that's who he is, and he's going here kind of late. Like round 14 in a 15-team league, you're talking at this point like 200 picks in just about. So I, again, it's still, in terms of the landscape of the draft, it's a little bit early because there's going to be like 700 or so picks in this draft. I'm actually... Let me see, 50 by 15, you know, my math is not good. Exactly, 750 picks. So it's still early in general, but in terms of the upside of McCullers pitching for a really good team, which has been a common theme for mine in this draft, Burns, Strider, Gosman, and now McCullers is my fourth starting pitcher. They're all pitching for really good teams, and they should all be able to give me 10, 15 wins. So, I mean, on the pitching side, my strengths are going to be wins, I think they're going to be pretty much everything, honestly, except for saves. Like, I think I've built a really, really strong pitching staff that McCullers, I mean, a little bit boomer bust in there, sure, if he gets hurt or whatever, but that's just about the only risk I have with him. If he's out there, if he's given me somewhere along the lines of 120, 130 innings, even that, I'm going to be pretty happy. And that's the one thing, is how many innings are we going to get out of him? In his career, we've seen 125, 80, 120, 128. Uh, in the short season, it was 55, which is fine. And then last year, 162. If he can get 162, I'll be, I'll be very, very happy uh, if he can do that. I'm not really expecting that. I'm not projecting that. But if he's healthy, if there's no problems, uh, then that should be generally what he does. While striking out 
somewhere in the neighborhood of 25%. I'd like the walks to be a little bit lower. Uh, but overall, what he does for you, I'm very happy getting around pick 200 here. Now, the next guy that I went with was Jorge Mateo. And he's a guy who I'm leaning into more for the steals here. This is when I started to look at my team really closely. And I'm like, okay, we've talked about this a lot these last couple of days. I'm not really sure about what I'm going to be getting in terms of my steals. It could be, you know, four guys at the top here getting 20 steals. They might all have 12. And that would be acceptable based on who they are. With Mateo, I really do feel like he can give you something similar to what we saw this season. Maybe 35 is aiming a little bit high. He played a lot of games, 150 games. 35 steals, 13 homers. Uh, the other stats were okay. He had 63 runs and 50 RBIs, which is fine. Uh, it's, it's not a lot, but he's going to be the everyday shortstop there in Baltimore, I believe. And he should be able to give me somewhere in the 25 to 30 kind of steal range with hopefully like 10 home runs and all right counting stats. We've talked a lot on the show about Baltimore in the offseason, and I think that they're going to be a really good team next year. I think especially because you're not going to be playing – in the division as much, that's going to be a huge factor that the team's schedules will be more balanced across the leagues as opposed to jam-packed against uh, divisional opponents. That's going to benefit Baltimore quite a bit, not specifically for Mateo here, but just in general for the team. I think that they will be better. They're going to face a lower quality of pitching across the entire league. And I think that generally we're going to see the team do very well. And Mateo should be able to benefit from that like a lot of the other guys on the roster. So happy to take Jorge Mateo here in round. Where are we now? Uh, 15, round 15 for Jorge Mateo. So next, we got Edward Cabrera in round 16. I've talked a lot so far about how the pitchers I've drafted are going to be guys who give me wins. You know, 10, 12, 15 wins should be pretty easy for the guys I drafted early on. Edward Cabrera, I have no idea how many wins we're going to see out of him. It might be 6 or 7. It could just as easily be 15 or 16. It's very hard to say what he's going to do. 16 might be pushing it a little bit, but he, he could. Uh, he's totally capable of that. We've seen it in the minor leagues, how good he was, the massive strikeout numbers. Uh, he's someone who the best case scenario for him is probably a low end, or, or, you know, maybe not an SP1, maybe like a high SP2. I think that that's probably where he is likely to end up falling, somewhere in that kind of range. We saw it in the minor leagues. He's really good. Um, you know, as he's progressed through the levels, we haven't really seen anything, anything at all to worry about. Not that I've seen anyway. Now, his last start of last season, he left with an ankle injury, but I don't think it's too serious. He got the whole offseason to recover from that. I think he'll be fine. He's a dude where the upside is really big. The strikeout's really good. Um, there's obviously some things to worry about as well. Uh, we did see, um, just pulling up his, his indicators here, his uh, pitching indicators from last season, they weren't great. Uh, they were like fours, mid fours. Um, so let's see. The expected ERA was 4.05. The FIP was 4.59. The XFIP, 4.12. Uh, that worries me a little bit. His BABIP allowed was 2.07, and he left 86% of runners on base. So there are things to be worried about with Edward Cabrera. Overall, I'm still a fan. I'm still, I think he can work down the walk rate a little bit, needs to work on his control a little bit, but the strikeouts are going to be there and the upside is there. So it's not a pick that I'm in love with, but I think at this point in the draft, um, you know, I think it's fairly likely that he's going to end up returning positive value from where I took him, you know, early kind of 200s, 220 range. Uh, he should be fine to return that kind of value, assuming again with all these guys uh, that he stays healthy. So if I get 25 starts out of him, Granted, not a great team around him, but I think that he should still be able to produce 
at least uh, par for the course with where I drafted him anyway. Next round here, we have Ramon Laureano. And Ramon Laureano, I think he's likely to be traded this season. I don't know why Oakland would hang on to him. I don't know why Oakland is hanging on to anybody, really. I think they might as well. I mean, they've pretty much cleaned house, right? There's still a couple names they could trade. Sean Murphy, I think Laureano. I expected them to both be traded at the deadline, and they weren't. For whatever reason, I, I don't understand it. I don't think they're a great uh, ownership group. I don't think that the GMs really know what they're doing over there. Or maybe they're just poor and it's they all dictated to them by ownership and they have to just trade everybody. I don't know. They're a total mess. Oakland is a total mess and a shit show, and they're hard to really gauge for fantasy purposes. Really, any player that you're picking on Oakland, you can't have that much confidence specifically because the team around whatever player you draft is going to be shit. Um, but that being said... Ramon Laureano is a guy who's going to give you double-digit homers, double-digit steals, and, you know, rack up all right counting stats. Nothing too great uh, in Oakland. The thing with him is I'm really banking on some kind of trade next season. I know that he's not exactly loved around Major League Baseball. There was the whole steroid thing last season, and I don't think that he's particularly, you know, adored by his fellow players. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think with, Lare- with uh, Ramon Laureano, I'm probably getting into close to 20 home runs, 15 or so steals, and then, like I said, assuming he does get traded, which seems very likely, we should see better counting stats for him. A batting average is not going to be great, most likely. His first couple of years in the league, we saw him in the 280 kind of range, and then once the lockout season or the pandemic season, it was 213. Uh, last year, 246 when he was out there, and then this year when he came back, 211. So I'm not really that confident about batting average here, but that kind of goes to my team in general. I'm not terribly confident there with anybody. I mean, Jose Altuve is about the only guy where I'm looking at him saying, okay, I'm expecting you to hit 300 or in that range at least. Everybody else, uh, 220 to 250 kind of range would probably be generally acceptable. And Loriano fits that build pretty well. Rack up some more steals for me uh, with Jorge Mateo as well. Those two guys are going to be hopefully carrying my steal category for me. Uh, and this is... The thing with this format, too, is a lot of these guys, like we're listening down, we're into round, you know, the late teens, you're still starting these guys in this format. You know, a lot of drafts you get into round, you know, round 20. That guy is not going to be starting on your team that regularly. The guy you pick round 20, round 21. In this draft, it is. Uh, these guys are going to be my starting outfielders. Like, I, I have, I'm stuck, not stuck with them, but they are going to be there. It's not like they just rotate in every now and again, like you might see in a 12-team league, where you draft a guy like a Loriano or a Jorge Mateo, kind of hoping that they're just going to be on your bench and maybe they get switched out if there's injuries or whatever. Uh, but in this format with five outfielders, they're going to be getting sent out there every single day. And I think that over the course of the season, we'll probably see them both, specifically Loriano here, rack up 20-ish home runs and you know close to 20 steals. I think that we can see somewhere in the 15-ish ballpark for him there. Really, really hoping that he is not in Oakland for too long, and maybe he doesn't even start the year in Oakland. In that case, you know, if he gets traded to a team where he is a regular top of the lineup and it's a decent team around him, then this pick, I'm going to be laughing at it. So Ramon Laureano here, uh, again, pretty, pretty happy. It's hard to be so, so happy when you get down to this point of the draft. But, I mean, hell, we got a long way to go, so I, <laughs> I think I'm... I think I'm all right with Ramon Laureano at this spot. In the next round, I went with Alex Cobb. And Alex Cobb, you guys, if you've been listening to the show, following me on Twitter, you know how I feel about Alex Cobb. 
I think he's pretty underrated. Now, I don't think that he is, you know, a savior or amazing or anything like that. But I think he's a really good pitcher, and I think that he's pretty underrated. And you look at his indicators this year and even last year, and they're lower than the numbers that uh, he put out in terms of his ERA. 373 ERA this season. It was a 280 FIP, a 289 XFIP. Last season, 376 ERA, 292 FIP, 338 XFIP. He's, he's underperforming what he probably should be. Uh, and, you know, pitching for San Francisco this year, it was not great. He did not have any luck in terms of his batted ball luck or leaving guys on base. Uh, 336 was his final BABIP, 68% left on base. And compared to what they were throughout the season, if you were like me following along with Cobb, in a lot of cases, because he was, you know, when talking about Yahoo leagues, less than 50% rostered a lot of the year, I was picking him up pretty much all over the place, hoping for a turnaround, and it did eventually happen. It was painful. It was a painful struggle rostering him until you got that turnaround and you likely dropped him or benched him. And at least I hope you were benching him because there was a time when he was really killing you, but it wasn't really his fault. I, God, there's just so many times I can think back to watching Alex Cobb and, you know, little bloops here and there and then big home runs. It's just like just horrible, horrible luck for this guy. And we've seen that a couple of years in a row now. I do think that what we can see from him Something similar with the strikeout numbers, which have been going up and up these last couple of seasons. He's been, for the career, more of a 15 17% strikeout guy. These last two seasons, 24.9%, 23.9%. I will take that any day, obviously, over what he was giving you before. But especially, he's only walking about league average numbers, striking out a little bit above average. Getting him at this point, I tweeted about him a couple of weeks ago. And he's, he's going as like the 75th starting pitcher off the board. At this point in the game, I'm all in on taking him, taking a shot on him, whatever your format is. If you're in the mid-250s and he's sitting there, I think that that's going to make a lot of sense. And for my team, I've already built a strong foundation of victories. I think that Cobb can be a guy that I start most weeks with confidence, and he's another guy who will benefit from that new division realignment, won't have to face the Dodgers and the Padres as much. So... I, I really like taking Cobb here. I think that this pick is going to pay positive value pretty much as, you know, as long as he's healthy and as long as the luck starts to correct a little bit. I think that we're going to be totally fine in taking Alex Cobb here. He goes back to more of a, you know, his career average numbers for Babip and left on base. For Babip, it's 297, left on base 72. They're not massive changes, but, you know, it goes down 30-ish points, 25, 30 points. The left on base number goes back up three, four, five points. And this is going to be a really valuable pick for me here. Even with all the bad luck that he had, his ERA this season, uh, where is it now? His ERA this season, yeah, 373, even though his first half was terrible. And actually, let me just pull up the splits here and just see what it was exactly month by month. So <clears throat> April, 482 ERA. May, it was 604. And then June, 216. July 275, August 310, uh, September, October 349. I'm all in. I'm all in at this price on Alex Cobb. My next pick here, it was a result of me being sniped on who I really wanted, and that was Hunter Brown. And I was fully expecting to have Hunter Brown here. I was thinking I'm such a little genius. No one had taken him. And I don't know how he's available at this point in the draft. We're looking at pick like 270-ish. Uh, roughly in that range. It was like 18th, 19th round. And I'm thinking, Jesus, like how has nobody taken Hunter Brown? I know there's uncertainty about his role within the Astros pitching rotation next season where he's going to fall. 
if he's even going to be in the rotation. But at this point, hell, I'll take a chance on him. And I was very happy to. In my mind, the pick before, or the two picks before, I started zoning out a little bit, picked up my phone or something, kind of zoned out, thinking, yeah, I'm cool with Brown. No one's going to take him, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, Kevin Hastings, who we mentioned yesterday, who I've become very, very good friends with over this weekend. The dude took Hunter Brown from me, and I was sitting there, just kind of zoned back in when I heard that. I was like, what, you took who? You took Brown. And then I had to kind of scramble around for a second, and I didn't really have a pivot. Most of the picks in this draft, I was going into it with saying, okay, I'm all right with any one of these three, two or three dudes at this spot in case there is some sniping that goes on. This pick, I was pretty, pretty invested in taking Hunter Brown here, and I didn't really have a backup. So I was kind of scrambling around. I looked, and I landed on Eric Lauer. And I feel pretty all right with Eric Lauer. I don't think that he's great. He's kind of overperforms his indicators quite a bit. We talked when I was on Baseball HQ with Patrick Davitt about how I was not big on Eric Lauer really in general. He's a guy who's always kind of outperformed those indicators. But at this point in the draft, and because I was scrambling a little bit, I was not that prepared for this pick. So I went with him. I think that he'll be okay. Uh, he can be someone who's probably going to be like around a four, three seven five to 4 kind of ERA, uh, which, is, which is all right. You know, average strikeouts, average walks playing for a fairly average team. So I'm I'm more indifferent about this pick than anything else. And actually, Frank Stample was, was laughing at me when I said it out loud because I said, I'll take um, Eric Lauer. And then he just started laughing because there was just no enthusiasm there. I had, I had no enthusiasm with this pick. I think it was an all right pick. Going back on it, given more time, I probably wouldn't do it again. But I don't think it's the end of the world either. He should be he should be all right. Um, but definitely not like flying over the moon with having Eric Lauer on my team. Let's just move on to the next pick before I get too sour thinking back on, on getting sniped. Thank you, Kevin, uh, for taking Hunter Brown if you are listening. But next up, I took Brendan Donovan. And Brendan Donovan, in this kind of format, I like because he's a guy who is going to be able to play all over outfield second and third. As of right now, he did not have quite enough appearances to qualify at first, uh, he played 16 times there. Seven times at shortstop, he won't have that either, but he'll have outfield third and second, which is very valuable in any format, but specifically in this kind of format where you can plug him in kind of anywhere. Uh, I like that. And I did talk earlier in this offseason about how we might be overplaying the importance in, you know, in home leagues of multiple position guys, just drafting them based on that. I think it's important, but I wouldn't be drafting people specifically for that versatility if you're talking you know, a 12-team Yahoo League, it's a nice added bonus, but it shouldn't really be your main factor. It factors into it a little bit more with me in this kind of situation where because you don't really know what to expect, especially so far in advance. Uh, we don't know with injuries. Or what's, we have no idea what's going to happen. Having a guy who can play multiple positions like that, I really value. He's going to give me a little bit of a boost in the batting average department, which my team is going to need. Uh, I think my team is going to probably be like a 240, 250 kind of team. Uh, Brandon Donovan can help me get that up a little bit more. He was a 280 guy this year, very high on base percentage guy. He walked 60 times this season, and he struck out 70 times. Very, very impressive numbers. When you're getting anywhere close to your strikeout numbers with your walk numbers, that's great, especially this close within 10 of them. And, you know, he's a guy where you're not going to get a lot of counting stats. You're going to be all right there. Uh, 64 runs, 45 RBIs. He's playing in a good lineup. He should have a fairly regular role. Uh, the home runs and steals are not going to be there. 
They're just not. But five home runs, what he did this year, is probably going to be likely, you know, five to seven home runs. And then maybe he steals five, seven bases. That would be ideal for me here. I like Brandon Donovan. I like the eligibility. And overall, uh, I think that he's going to be a fairly safe pick here in round 20, I think. At this point, uh, there's, there's a lot of riskier names flying off the board. He's a guy I think will have fairly regular playing time and is a great lineup around him. So very, very happy to get Brandon Donovan right here. Now, at this point, I had three picks left, and I'm trying to figure out where I was lacking, which is kind of what I did after 10 rounds. I did the same general thing after 20 rounds. What position am I lacking? And catchers started to stick out to me again. It was the same thing that happened after 10 where I was like, shit, I need to grab somebody. I took Darno maybe a little bit earlier than I would have wanted to just because uh, catchers are not that abundant in a 15-team two-catcher league. They're just not, especially once you get down round 15 and later. So in this pick, I was looking for somebody going kind of late where I was pretty certain about their playing time. And I think that they're going to be on a pretty decent roster. And there's not many guys that fit that criteria. If you're looking at catcher like 20 and beyond, pretty much nobody does. Um, the only guy that really was sticking out where I had some kind of confidence was Carson Kelly. And I took Carson Kelly here. I don't have a ton of faith in him, but we've seen from him at times, 2021 at times he was really good, and 2019, which I know we don't really factor 2019 into our talks a lot because when we do factor it in, it's to point out how ridiculous the whole season was. But he hit 18 home runs, batted 245. Uh, he played 111 games. If he can do something like that, which is pretty similar to what he did in 2021, where he had 13 homers, 46 ribbies, batted 240, I'm going to be pretty happy with that. Like As my two catchers, looking at them right now, Darno and Kelly... It doesn't give me that fuzzy feeling inside, but I think that they're guys who are going to have pretty regular play. I don't think we're going to see Dalton Varsho play much catcher. I think he'll play enough where you know he's given Kelly days off here and there. But I think Carson Kelly is going to be the guy getting majority of those appearances. I don't think they're going to really want to play uh, Varsho there. So, I mean, I think we'll see him get maybe 15, 20 games behind the plate, but Kelly, I'm thinking, I mean... It's hard to project exactly, but like 100 to 120 there. Some as the DH, maybe. I think we can see him play 130 games. This is maybe my best case kind of projection. Like 130 games, 15, 17 home runs, and maybe maybe even 20 home runs is possible. And giving you somewhere along the lines of like 55 runs and 65, 70 RBIs. I think that something like that is probably what he's going to do. Now, am I projecting a little bit overconfidently? Perhaps, but I think that that's probably going to be the general area he ends up in. Maybe not so many RBIs, maybe take a couple of home runs off, whatever. But I think given where we were in terms of the guys who are being drafted in this range, like by ADP, the guy right above him is Joey Bart. The guy right below him, Nick Fortes. Neither one of them makes me really happy. Bart, maybe he'll get a bit better. Maybe he won't. In terms of his fantasy game, I don't think it's going to be great, especially not this season. So I went with Carson Kelly. I like the Diamondbacks lineup. I've talked about that a lot. Big fan of the guys they have there. I think Corbin Carroll is going to be really good. I drafted Christian Walker already. Dalton Varsho. We know that these guys have some pretty decent pieces at the top of the lineup. Carson Kelly likely not going to be at the top of the lineup, but he did hit once or uh, I believe he let off a couple times last season, so... Maybe they do play around, put him at the top of the order a little bit. Very hard to say as of right now, 
but I'm pretty happy with the draft pick considering I needed a catcher here. So uh, I took Carson Kelly in round 21. And again, who knows if any of this is going to end up being correct. This might, I may look back on this episode in a few months and be like, Jesus, Joe, just, just what was he doing? And it's totally possible. We might look back and say, Joe nailed every pick. Uh, I doubt it. But we just know nothing at this point. So I think Carson Kelly was a pretty solid pick for me here in round 21. Going into round 22, I knew I wanted some more pitching depth. And I took Tyler McGill. Now, I I like my pitchers that I have early in the draft. The guys that I took are elite arms, assuming they're healthy and and everything goes according to plan. But if it doesn't go according to plan, I want to have some guys who I can still stick out there and I feel very, very confident. I didn't want to wait too long on pitchers. I wanted to have replacement guys for those starters who will still start in a lot of weeks, but guys who I feel comfortable with taking over the reins, uh, assuming the worst case scenario does happen to Gosman, Strider, Burns, whatever. Uh, those guys I picked early on. So Tyler McGill is a guy that we've seen show flashes of being an ace. And if you just watch the way he delivers the ball, it's very clear that he spent a lot of time watching his teammate Jacob DeGrom. They have a very similar delivery, very similar kind of motion. And of course, McGill is not Jacob DeGrom. So please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. He is a really good young pitcher who can maybe grow into being something not like DeGrom, but One of the better pitchers in the National League, I think, is well within range for a guy like McGill. When he was out there early in the season before he got hurt, we saw him put up some really great numbers in the first, I think it was his three or four starts. Um, I think there was one of those first four that was like not so great, but the other three were like very, very dominant pitching. And then he went down, missed a lot of time. We know the Mets rotation was jam-packed this season. Even guys like David Peterson who I was huge on this season when he was getting getting hot, started striking out, seemed like double-digit guys every game. I was picking him up everywhere, and then they put him in the rotation, sent him down, and that just goes to show you. Like, David Peterson is a starting-level pitcher on 28-29 teams in the bigs, but he just didn't have a role this year because there wasn't room. And the same thing kind of applied to Tyler McGill. When he got back from his injury, he was a bullpen guy, couple-inning bullpen guy here and there. And that's not the role I expect him to have next season. It's possible maybe he starts the season uh, in the bullpen. But I think that over time, uh, next season, he'll still make a lot of starts, whether it's because Jacob DeGrom leaves and he fills a role in that rotation or if it's just because he's in the rotation regardless. Like I think that he will have uh, you know, probably a minimum 20 or so starts. I want to take a look at the roster resource. He's listed on the roster resource currently as the SP3. Uh, Behind Scherzer and Peterson, obviously that's not factoring in guys like DeGrom and what they're going to do. We don't really know what's going to happen, which is why drafting at this point point in time is crazy to begin with. But a guy like McGill, where he's shown flashes of being an ace, getting him here at pick, oh God, what was it, 22 by 15. My math is brutal. 330 range, like plus 300 kind of range. Uh, that's really, really going to be a bargain if McGill is able to start 20, 25 games. And I think that that's probably something we can forecast. Even if it's not DeGrom leaving, there will be something. there. I, I think he won't be the SP3, but you know the SP4 or 5 on this team, we've talked about how you have to kind of chase wins a little bit. It should be close to a 100-win team again. And a guy like McGill, well, with, well capable of giving you very good ratios, like somewhere in the... 
you know, mid threes or even lower for ERA with solid strikeout numbers, fairly low walk numbers, and probably going to be somewhere like around 12 wins. I think that's probably uh, what I want to project for Tyler McGill. So very, very happy to take him here with my second last pick. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But in terms of upside around this range, uh, he is definitely a guy I'm very, very confident in taking. So we got down to the last pick here. And I'm trying to figure out where exactly I'm still lacking on the roster. And closers are still sticking out to me. And at this point, there's really not that many, if any, I don't think there were any at this point, guys who already are confirmed closers. So you start to speculate a little bit. Who can have a closer role? Who is you know the best reliever in their bullpen? Who will probably work themselves into that role heading into next year? And so I took Jose Alvarado. And Jose Alvarado, I think, is the best reliever that Philadelphia has. He is the guy who is getting you tons of strikeouts this season, first of all. Uh, 14.29 strikeouts per nine innings, 37.9, call it 38 strikeout percentage. That right there, I mean, you guys know I'm a sucker for strikeouts. If a guy, you know, even if he gets blown up on one particular night, whatever, you can fall back and, you know, sleep easy knowing that he still gave you a bunch of strikeouts. And with relievers, it's a little bit different. But with a reliever like Alvarado, who is the best reliever that they have? Sir Anthony Dominguez, good pitcher. He's not this good. David Robertson, I'm not sure he's going to come back. I think he's a free agent. He's not on this level. and he's, he's not this good. I do think Alvarado will probably start the year as the closer. Looking at the roster resource, he's currently listed as closer with Sir Anthony Dominguez. But Alvarado's the better pitcher. We know this. Maybe they'll use them, you know, situationally. Alvarado will work certain guys, certain high-leverage roles, whatever, or certain high-leverage situations, I should say. And maybe it won't be just a strict closer closer role for him. Because this year he had two saves, last year five. Maybe I'm over-projecting here, but I do think that he can be the closer. I think he will be the closer. And that's that's what it comes down to more so once you get to the second half of the draft. But because I didn't go for, you know, a hater and somebody else early on, like massive closer combo, I kind of have to throw some darts here with my eyes closed and hope that they stick. And Jose Alvarado at this point is a guy I can look at and say, okay, even if he's not the main closer, kind of similarly to Duran with a little bit less confidence that They'll still give me big strikeouts. There should still be pretty good ratios. And overall, I can live with the pick, even if he is not going to be the closer. I mean, the expected stats from him this year, the indicators were a 253x ERA, a 192 FIP, a 216 XFIP. I really like those numbers, especially because they came with a 340 BABIP and a 69% left on base percentage. 69%, it's close enough to normal, whatever. A 340 Babbitt, I would not really expect that to stick. So, you know, his 318 ERA, it should probably be closer to what we saw with those expected stats in the 2 to 250 kind of range. He gets the closer role. He could be one of the better closers in baseball. We could see a 25 to 30 save season where he is striking out like 100 or close to 100 batters if he gets 60, 65 innings. So I'm happy enough with this pick. I'm not over the moon with you know, a lot of guys in these last few rounds, I'm not over the moon with it. I think that he has a good chance to be the closer. He's not guaranteed. And that's the thing. Helsley, really good, good really good pitcher. I don't think he's guaranteed the closer role uh, all season. I mean, no one really is. But there's not as much certainty I have as if I had gone with Hader, Romano, and Classe. Obviously, you'd have to really reach for guys. But 
you don't have that same kind of confidence with these guys as I would have with that kind of with those kind of guys. They're a step below a little bit. Even though they're still great pitchers, I think that they're, you know, just about as good as those other guys, maybe not quite, but pretty close. They don't have that role properly secured and, you know, you don't draft roles, you draft skills, right? That's something that Ron Chandler, who we were just at the Baseball HQ conference, I mean, he was the guy who I believe he founded Baseball HQ, but it's something that he's preached. Um, you know, you draft the skills, you don't draft the roles or, you know, the current lineup spot or whatever. The guy's bad in eighth, so he's not good. Now, if the guy's a good enough hitter, he'll move up the lineup, whoever the case is. You, the guy's, you know, stuck in the back of a bullpen. If those skills are there, then the role over time will match that skill. It's not, you know, they're not always in sync. Sometimes you're a little bit ahead or a little bit behind of what the team is actually doing, um, you know. So I'm pretty happy with Jose Alvarado. I'm pretty happy with this draft in general. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, reach out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB. These results are posted on either of those uh, accounts if you want to go check it out. Follow along or just take a little bit of a closer look. Not that you really give too much of a shit about my draft, but if you're interested, if you haven't done any early drafts, maybe just trying to figure out these uh, deeper formats, and maybe you want to play one of them, uh, you know, go check it out and go maybe sign up for an NFBC league. They're not all that expensive. Some of them are just 50 bucks. Uh, there are, of course, some, some free ones like TGFBI, uh, but that's for like if you're in the industry kind of thing. There are there, You don't have to spend a ton of money, is my point, to play in these formats. You could spend, I think it's minimum probably 25 50 bucks if you want to explore with these kind of deeper rosters and different formats. The NFBC site looks fantastic. It's uh, From what I've heard, because I've never actually played an entire season on it, it's the best, most user-friendly site to play your fantasy on. So... Give them a checkout. Um, I've checked them out. I'm impressed so far. I think I'm going to play more leagues uh, on there this season. My content is still going to be focused mostly on Yahoo because I try and cater to the fantasy every person, every man, if you will, every man, every woman, whatever it is. Um, I'm not trying to focus on the high-stakes leagues because there's not that many people that play high-stakes leagues. Like People do, and I talk about them here and there. But most of what I talk about will be Yahoo and ESPN still. So don't worry that I'm transitioning away from you if you are a Yahoo ESPN guy. I'm still there for you. But uh, off-season here, we're just experimenting a little bit with different formats. And being live there in person with all these great people getting to draft in that room with with a group of really sharp people was fantastic. So, again, uh, thank you to Baseball HQ for putting on first pitch. If you did not make it out this year, please do come next season. It was really fantastic being out there. Guys, once more on Twitter at JoeOrico99 at EthosFantasyBB. Leave your positive reviews, your ratings. That would be very much appreciated. Hit the subscribe button. And of course, uh, we'll see you again tomorrow where we will pick up where we left off last week with our positional reviews. We'll be back in the outfield, so make sure you're here, tuned in. Until next time, guys.